Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome in to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are wrapping up our team top 10 prospects podcast series today with the Oakland A's. We are bringing in a very special guest, Mark Chirelli, here to close it out like Craig Kimbrell in his prime. Mark, thank you for joining me today. Kyle, what's going on? I have to say, while I've enjoyed doing this podcast series after 30 of them, I'm glad we have reached the finish line. And uh, we're finishing up with with a team that's interesting in, in some ways and other ways less interesting than you would like it to be. And, and that's the Oakland A's. It's no secret the A's have embarked on a full-on teardown over the last two seasons. Uh, they were a team that was consistently competitive. They were in one of their up cycles, made postseason three straight years they were also competitive late into the 2021 season and then they decided to do what they do every so often and and tear it all down Uh, they traded away matt olson matt chapman chris bassett sean manaya then last year during the trade deadline they traded frankie montas and they recently traded sean murphy to the braves for a prospect package so this is what the a's do they bring up a core of talent, they win as much as they can, and then they sell it off. At the same time, this was much more extreme than ever before. Last year, the A's did that, raised prices on tickets. They went 60 and 102. We talk about the A's have had some rebuilding cycles. That 60 and 102 mark was the A's worst record since 1979. This is way worse than the A's typical bring them up, trade them off, and, and try and build it back up. And when you look at this farm system for all the guys they've traded away, they only have one top 100 prospect and it was someone they drafted. They just have not gotten the level of talent back you'd expect. I got to ask Mark, when you look at this farm system in conjunction with this major league team, where's the optimism? <laughs> uh, well, I had, I had some more numbers prepared that aren't exactly optimistic. If, if we want to start there, I think Go for it. Just, give just it to us straight. I mean, I, I guess the, the way you can look at it optimistically is that the A's system was in dire need of a talent infusion at pretty much every level. And so uh, of those, I believe you need have six players. I think they got 20 prospects, a nice round number of 20 back. The problem is that, a year ago, they entered Baseball America's rankings, 27th farm system in baseball, one top 100 prospect, Tower Soderstrom. Like you said, they still just have one top 100 prospect. It's Tower Soderstrom, and I believe you just ranked them 24th. I think you put it out this week, right? So that's, that's not a lot of upward momentum. But I think when you look at the sheer amount of arms that they've added and you start to look at how they've layered in some talent, that you can at least say, well, you know, I don't know. We're not at critical mass here yet. But there's a lot of, of interesting pieces here, um, and especially with, with on the pitching side where they went from extremely barren 
to, to at least some interesting guys to work with. You, I think they're going with a volume play in the hopes that, it, you know, some of them will hit. Uh, so I think that's where, where you have to, to get optimistic. You have to look at the depth and, and you have to hope that um, the A's player development can, can turn something right now that is, you know, not great into, into something a little bit better. Yeah. And it's interesting as we were kind of assessing where should the A's go on our organization talent rankings, when you pull up the system, you're right. The depth is where you have hope because while there's only one top 100 prospect, you go down into the early 20s and it's guys who who have something that is at least a little interesting, whether it's one pitch or some physicality or a big tool. So there are a lot of guys here who have something that you can get excited about or some pedigree and name recognition. But I think where there's some concern, you mentioned the pitching in particular, there's no question the A's were in dire, dire, dire need of pitching. We had talked about that on previous podcasts and, and to their credit, they acquired a lot of pitching in these trades. Look at Kyle Muller, Ken Waldachuk, Robert Salinas, Luis Medina, Gunnar Hogland, JT Ginn. All these guys were acquired in trades. But where there's some concern is the guys they got in the trades last year and just spent their first year in the A system, they almost all regressed. They almost all had bad seasons. You look at Ryan Cusick. You look at Joey Estes. What is kind of your assessment of A's pitcher development right now? Because again, they've put their hopes and their stock in. We're going to get all these arms. We're going to develop them and we're going to have a good pitching staff. But the early returns are the guys they acquired went backwards, whether it's them or something wrong with the A's. It didn't move in the direction you want to see. Yeah. You know, I think it, it actually, you know, it starts even before they get to the player development system in that I think their acquisition strategy carried a significant amount of risk. Like Gunnar Hogland, you know, he had three good pitches at the SEC. He, he, he was a great performer in college, but he had Tommy John surgery. JT Ginn, injury history. Luis Medina, strike throwing, real struggles. Even Ryan Cusick, I know he was a, a first round pick, but there were pretty clear concerns even with him that there's no third pitch here yet. So um, I think they took on a healthy amount of risk. And I think in some instances, you know, it's kind of an incomplete grade. Hoglin barely pitched. Ginn was injured again. Cusick got hurt, you know, like does a, a full season of just pitching, you know, help their stock a little bit. But I do think it's fair to take a look at A's pitching development as a whole and wish that you also got more out of it. I think you have have two things working in conjunction there that nets you to a, to an outcome that was pretty undesirable. Yeah, I will say there's going to be lots of opportunities for these guys to come up to the majors the next year or two. Um, you look at the A's starting rotation right now, it's pretty barren to say the least. Ken Waldachuk, who they acquired the Montas trade, came up, showed some good things. You feel pretty good about him and his future, but Paul Blackburn was an all-star last year. A lot of that was the A's needed someone to be an all-star as representation. Uh, they brought back Drew Rusinski from Korea. They signed Shintaro Fujinami, who has great stuff, but has long struggled to throw strikes over from Japan. So there's not a lot of guys who have locked down spots in, in this starting rotation moving forward. I mean, James Caprillion's injury history, we all know it. So there will be opportunities, but these guys have to step up and, and take it. I will say, you know, we talk about, okay, where's the reason for optimism? There are a few hitters in this system. And we've talked about the A's struggles with drafting. They had a run of, of picks that did not work out that have really hurt them. But by all appearances, they really hit on Tyler Soderstrom. 
looked really, really good in summer camp or and uh, after he was drafted instructional league. I uh, went out in 2021, had a great season at low A Stockton. Last year, he got off to a slow start at high A in the Midwest League where it was freezing. But I've talked about this a couple times. If you throw out the first six weeks, so basically wait until he thawed out and look from the first six weeks of the season on, he was fantastic at the plate. What's the latest on Tyler Soderstrom and his timeline and, and what he projects to be for the A's? Yeah, you know, we, we've talked a lot about things that haven't gone right, but I think everything the A's hoped for with Soderstrom when they drafted him has come true so far. Almost instantly after he got into their system, you heard people in their organization start to talk about him in the same like as like an Eric Chavez, you know, or Ben Grieve for them. Like they were talking about him in ways that they don't talk about other high school hitters that they've drafted. And so far he he's lived up to that. He, he, he hits the ball hard at 91 mile an hour average exit velocity last year. I think it was second highest in, in the A's system. Uh, he generates a ton of force from a, a really compact kind of beautiful classic lefty swing. Um, there's just a lot of attributes at the plate that you really like. And I think part of the, the, the struggles that you hit on, yeah, it was cold. Um, yeah. You're adjusting to a new level. I think, the one thing that has kind of emerged for him, he can be aggressive at times at the play. His walk rate has been a little bit lower than I think um, the A's would have expected, but I don't think that that is, um, it's not a pitch recognition issue. I just think it's a young hitter who's still learning when to go and when to lay off. And I, I don't think the A's are overly concerned. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of positive indicators there at the plate that you're going to get a middle of the order bat when, when he's ready. Yeah, from May 14th to the end of the season last year, so like I talked about, those first, I guess it was five weeks, not six, hit 292, 340, 541, 25 homers, 91 RBIs. I mean, that kind of production, if he wasn't freezing the first five weeks, he would have had a 30 homer, 100 RBI season while batting 290 plus. Um, he can hit. He's always been able to hit. You know, Since I first saw it at the area code games, I was like, yeah, this guy can hit. It's a beautiful left-handed swing, mechanically sound, plenty of power. There's no real question about him as a hitter. He's going to hit. The questions that have dogged him a little bit since he was drafted are, is he going to catch? Is he going to move to first base? And last year, he suffered a thumb injury that prevented him from, from staying behind the plate. So he got more time at first base. He ultimately did play more games at first than he caught last year. Where is he now in terms of his positional outlook? And, and are the A's ready to make the move to him being a first baseman, if not full-time, then majority time? I think the A's may be the the last group of folks who who don't who haven't necessarily committed to the first base full time. I know he's catching right now. He, he's he's caught in a couple of spring training games. I think the plan for him, at least publicly right now, is to still split time. But I think when you talk to people outside of the organization, it's it's a stronger and stronger um, opinion or closer consensus that you know I don't think I don't think catcher is a is a full time thing for him. I don't know. I mean, I know first base is kind of the default. I heard some whispers this winter, don't rule out third base. He's athletic enough to handle it. Um, so I don't necessarily want to shoehorn him into to first base, although he has not yet played third in a, in a pro game. But um, I think we're trending away from um, Tyler Soderstrom, the catcher, and into Tyler Soderstrom, the, the hybrid, or perhaps eventually getting into a corner. Yeah, and again, there are some guys where you worry about profile it's not going to matter he's going to hit enough for any position he's a special hitter and, and should be an impact player for the A's regardless one other guy who you were on early just talking to the A's through your excellent reporting as usual 
was at Geloff and he had a pretty strong debut after he was drafted after being uh, taken in the draft out of Virginia last year and his first full season had a really really good year that was shortened by injury but you just saw all the natural hitter instincts again second rounder 2021 got up to triple a you know finished the year at triple a was mostly at double a but seeing the fall league too even though the numbers weren't great necessarily you saw the swing you saw the thump you saw just that it's just a balanced direct simple powerful swing and there's a lot of sense this guy can really hit. I know I had him uh, on the back end of my personal top 100 list because there's a lot of belief in the bat. What did we see from Zach Geloff here in his first full season, and what does he project to be moving forward now? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, I love the swing. It's just simple. It's strength-based. He can. It's opposite field power. I think he's going to hit. I think he's. I think he's a, a definite regular type in, in the big leagues. Um, you mentioned the injury. He did have a, a pretty significant shoulder injury last year, and I think that sapped him uh, of some of the power that maybe the A's were expecting. Um, and I don't know what you saw in Arizona, maybe it, if it lingered into the end of the year or um, clouded the look a little bit. But I think with a, a clean bill of health, um, he's a guy who should get there pretty soon. And I think that I think he's going to be a really productive hitter right away. He's got he's the type of hitter and the type of prospect the A's tend to do well with um there's a lot of aptitude there quick mover uh, bat the ball skill that I, I really like him as a hitter and i think um there's some versatility there that has emerged defensively as well that that makes him interesting yeah that has been kind of the question where is he going to end up defensively again similar vein to Soderstrom. guy can really hit not sure where he's going to play where does he project best defensively based off what evaluators saw here in his first full season yeah, the A's seem to, to think of him as a second baseman now. I think that if everything goes right, that's where they see him um, ending up. I had one scout outside the system say, don't rule out center field. I think he's dabbled there a little bit, maybe, maybe more of a emergency or, or shorter type look. He came up as a third baseman. He was a third baseman in college. Um, he, he developed, he had an arm injury in college, and I think out of that developed some bad habits. Um, so the arm slot can get a little funky on him sometimes. And I think that the A's feel like uh, it's it's that risk is mitigated a little bit at second base relative to, to maybe at third base. So um, I think if I had to bet, he'd be a, a second baseman when he gets up to the big leagues. Again, looking for optimism within the A's, you say, hey, Tyler Soderstrom at first base, Zach Geloff at second base. That's a really, really good right side of the infield. And, and two guys that if everything goes according to plan – are guys you can win with in the future. It's just now filling out the rest around them. And Mark, as you mentioned, this is a system that is filled with a lot of risk. A lot of the pitchers they acquired carried a lot of risk. One pitcher that they didn't acquire a trade, they draft him on their own, who is very risky, but might be the best of all these guys is Mason Miller, uh, power right-hander, and has struggled to stay on the mound during the regular season that included this past year, but he came back in the Arizona fall league and in a year where there were not many arms to get excited about, he really, really, really jumped out. It was a dominant showing in the fall league, 16 and two thirds innings, 20 strikeouts, four walks, plenty of stuff. He was one of maybe two or three pitchers. The evaluators were actually high on out of the fall league. 
what can you tell us about Mason Miller? Because again, he he strode down the mound only through 14 innings during the regular season, has had injury issues uh, dating back to college, but when he's on the mound, it's it's pretty impressive. Sure is. I, I think he he touched unofficially 102 in Arizona. That was that was one of those. Hey, I'm not going to overthink this. We've got we've got 102 in the Arizona Fall League. We should we should dig in here. Uh, but it, it's it's big velocity. Um, I think the slider is a chance to be plus. He already throws it to both sides of the plate. Um, one thing that he's going to add this year or th- that they hope to add this year is a cutter that he used to throw prior to his injury um, that can get up into the upper 90s and I think gives him a third um, really interesting pitch. So if you just step back and, and think about his, his track record, when he started in college, um, there's still a chance for him to start. You've got three pitches with, with plus potential. I mean, th- those are interesting ingredients. But like you said, I mean, it was a shoulder injury. I think he's had some some elbow issues maybe in, in college. Um, he's got type 1 diabetes, which impacted his collegiate career. Um, he actually lost, I think it was 15, 20 pounds early on in his college career because it, it was undiagnosed and they were trying to figure it out. So it took him some time to, to add that strength, and he was kind of a late bloomer as far as college pitching prospects go. So, yeah, healthy amount of risk. He's going to be 25 this season. Um, hasn't pitched above, you know, barely any innings, um, needs to get to the upper levels and, and pitch every fifth, sixth day consistently. But um, in this system, especially, it's a guy you really should be paying attention to. Yeah. Given the health track record, given the quality of the arm, given that he will turn 25 in August and um, has, has thrown all of five innings above the class A levels. Is he a guy the A's could just, stick in a bullpen, move him quickly, get him up to the big leagues, or are they going to continue to develop him as a starter and give him the longer leash, even with those other factors? Yeah. I, I don't see the, the reason to do that for the Oakland A's in 2023, simply because I don't envision them being competitive this year. I think that in uh, other systems, if I think he could probably help you at some point in the bullpen, I think you could find, people in the A system right now who think that he could pitch in a big league bullpen um, breaking from spring training, but because of where they are as an organization, I think you, you absolutely give him a shot uh, to develop as a starter. And uh, I guess I turned him in fourth, I think in, in the list. So uh, I think that uh, I'm optimistic that he can stay on that track. I know there's some risks there, but um, I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, again, I think this is one of those situations where the quality of the stuff and the ability that's in there, you certainly don't want to pull the plug yet. And, and again, just really, really stood out. You know, you and I have talked a lot about this. Uh, we've talked about other people on the podcast. The, it's the way evaluators talk about certain players sometimes as much as the words they say. And with Mason Miller inside and outside, it's it makes you pay attention. It was like most, most conversations I had about Miller or about A's prospects. It was like, Oh, I was waiting for when you were going to mention Miller. Like, like evaluators couldn't, couldn't wait to start talking about Mason Miller. And, and I think part of it too, like you said, it, it seems to be getting harder and harder to find guys who pop on the mound in, in the Arizona fall league. Um, so I'm sure that that played into it, but uh, yeah, evaluators inside and outside. We're, we're definitely excited about him. All right, Marks, we've talked about Soderstrom, Geloff, Miller, kind of the, the three guys that are you know, exciting, people love. Kyle Muller, who was acquired in the trade for Sean Murphy and, and certainly has the potential to be a, a quality member of their big league staff, and he's ready to do that now. 
there's a lot of other guys in the system. Again, we've talked about some of them that are very, very interesting in the sense they're high draft picks or big names, but they now carry a lot of risk and, and their outlook is interesting moving forward. Um, we want to talk to you about some of those guys uh, right after we take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, welcome back to the A's Top 10 Prospects Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with Mark Chiarelli. All right, Mark, so we've talked about throughout this podcast already, the A's have a deep group of prospects and have kind of taken a quantity approach where if you got 20, 25 guys who have something, you're hoping, well, as many of them as possible pop, but it might just be five, six, seven. And even if that's the case, you kind of take it it's a matter of sorting through which of them they're going to be. Uh, we talked about Soderstrom, Geloff, and Miller, three guys there's a lot of belief in. Kyle Muller and Ken Waldachuk are, are big league ready left-handers and guys who, for all intents and purposes, should at least serve some positive function uh, in a, on a big league staff, whether it's starting or relief. But once you get past that top five, again, it's a group of guys where you say, hey, I recognize that name, or hey, this guy has one thing that I really like, and then it's trying to figure out, okay, what does that mean in terms of their league outlook? How many guys would you say were in the mix for the top 10? How fungible was this six to, I mean, heck, like it seems like six to 23 group in some ways. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, and the Sean Murphy trade didn't help matters anyways, because even, even prior to that trade, I had about, uh, I would say 13 or 14 names, maybe 15. Gunnar Hogland was probably the, the very edge of top 10 consideration. Um, so I, it was funny. I was looking at the list today because I know, you know, changes happen in between when we turn things in and, and when we start to podcast and I looked at 11 through 16, 17, and I was like, huh, you know, in some ways I'm actually more 
intrigued by what happens there than I am some of the guys in the top 10. And I think if you, if you're to zoom back and, and just look at the, the A's outlook or, or I think this rebuild kind of hinges on, on this group that we're talking about um, taking a step or even exceeding um, some expectations right now. So I think it certainly, I, I would say, you know, we had 15, 16 names that were, were bouncing around top 10 consideration. Yeah. You mentioned this could be the group that kind of, if it hits will help turn things around. Cause again, if, even if the top five guys all hit, this is an A's team that really right now needs 25 new guys, not just five, or at least 20 new guys, not just five. Who are some of the guys in this group that that really, really jump out to you? I mean, you have first-round picks here like Max Muncy, Daniel Susak. You have guys with big tools uh, like Lawrence Butler and Denzel Clark. You have some interesting up-the-middle guys, a lot of talented but hurt pitchers. Who's kind of your, I don't want to call them your favorites of this group, but the guys that you're really keeping an eye on? Man, we could we could bucket all the, uh, those are three different conversations that we could end up having. But I think uh, can we do Denzel Clark? Can we spend a minute? Oh, or two? always, always. Can we yeah, have I, Denzel I, Clark one of the most fun guys to just watch in the minors, just the pure athleticism. We can absolutely talk about him. Yeah, like like when you start to look at this kind of eight to eighteen or nineteen group, he's the one that jumps out to me as um, a super high ceiling. And he, he gives you tons of reasons to get excited. He's the type of player that if you were to pay money to go watch a baseball game that you'd want to see on the field because you never know what he's going to do. He back-to-back uh, games with inside the park home runs last year. Um, he's a 80-grade runner. He, he's an elite defender. And he, it's just it's, – it's a ton of fun. Um, obviously, there are – really big red flags with the hit tool that have dated back to college. And I think still persist. Um, I am a believer. I think that the full package is one that even if he hits two thirty, and there's a role for him, potentially even a, a everyday role in the big leagues, just because of how good the defense is. He can run. There's power there. Um, so I would say Denzel Clark is, is a really exciting one. And if he can kind of settle on, he tinkers, you know, you can watch a video of him at different times of the year last year and the hands are in different spots. The stride looks different. He's clearly still kind of searching for the right mix for him, but if he can get a little bit more out of his swing, um, and access the hit tool a little bit more, he's, he's a guy, I think that, that is a, is a big time breakout candidate in 2023. Yeah, like you said, he's one of the most fun players to watch. I got to see him last year when he was at Stockton, and six five, he's listed two twenty. He might be closer to two forty, but he's an eighty grade runner, and he can scale walls. I mean, he makes Tory Hunter look like his jumping ability is like just okay. Like the heights that Denzel Clark can get up a wall are freakish and absolutely insane. In terms of what he can do at the plate, he's crazy strong. Does not have to swing hard to send a ball four hundred feet. What I thought was interesting was early in the year, you're right. I saw it even when he was going well at Stockton. If you threw him a 55-foot breaking ball, he would fall to one knee, flail over it, and was just was just done. It wasn't what you wanted to see. But when I went back and saw him in the fall league in October, actually it was early November, you could see the improvement. The same breaking balls that he was swinging and missing and flailing wildly over in May, he was now taking in November, the takes got a lot better. And that to me was encouraging. I think seeing how his pitch recognition has improved, how his swing decisions had improved, how his discipline had improved, 
I came out of the fall league feeling again, I, I liked him in Stockton. I had questions. Then we know so it goes up to Lansing. It doesn't go well. You're, you're kind of wondering if it's going to work, but seeing that in the fall league, I know I came out of it with, with maybe more optimism and, and talking to a few evaluators who saw him and had some history with him. They also mentioned that, yeah, it's just, it's, it's moving in the right direction, which is really all you can ask for. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, there's, there seems to be a high level of aptitude there. And I think like you could even look back at some of the draft reports that we had prior to him getting into Oakland system and, and people raved about the makeup. I think there's a, there's a desire to, to get better. That's a guy that people want to be around. I think that um, he's clearly working. I think too, his, I know he's a college guy, but um, his development was impacted by the pandemic. He had an unusual kind of path in college. You know, it, it, he's, he's more raw than, than what you'd expect just by looking at the the birthday or um so I, I i definitely do think that there's a lot of reasons to be excited um and i think that as i'm just eyeballing this this mix that's that's probably a, a pick to click for me I, I would i would i would stake my claim there to denzel clark this year um as a guy that, that i'm excited about yeah again canadian too we, we talk a lot about the canadian kids can take a little bit longer just because they get less game reps i was in a mid-major at cal state northridge lost a year or so I think we start talking about the context. You can see it blooming later. And Mark, we talked about some of these pitchers in this group beforehand, Gunnar Hogland, JT Ginn. They're really important because in a lot of ways, they were some of the anchors of the A's biggest trades. Uh, Gunnar Hogland was was one of their big, big prospects that got back from the Blue Jays from Matt Chapman. JT Ginn was the top guy they got back for Chris Bassett. Both of them have struggled with injuries. What's the latest on them and, and their outlooks for the A's? Yeah, I think Hogland more than Ginn, a lot of folks are just simply at the we just want him to get healthy and stay healthy stage. Um, I, I I think he pitched eight innings last year and dealt with biceps issue as soon as he came back from from Tommy John. It just was it was not good. The stuff was a little bit softer than than what you'd expected out of college, but uh, you don't know how how healthy he really was. So I think for him, it's simply getting back on the mound and. Uh, if the stuff can get back to even what it was at college or pretty close, you're still looking at um, three usable pitches, command, back of a rotation type guy who could potentially even move relatively quickly. I think Ginn is interesting in that his, his profile seems to have changed a little bit where he's become this heavy bowling ball sinker type guy. Um, and, and he had some success with it in Arizona. It sounded like it, it, it was very hit or miss during the season at double a, and, and he's dealt with injuries on his own. Um, he's another one who, who seems the reports we get back. He seems to tinker a little bit as far as pitch mix approach, what, what he wants to do every time he's out there. Um, so I think that with Ginn, I don't know, I, I was expecting maybe, uh, the fastball to be a little bit, if not better, different than what it has ended up being so far. Um, but I think that both of those guys, to me at this point, you're happy if if number four or number five starter, just based off the, the path that they've been on the last year or two. And then to follow up, Ryan Cusick and Joey Estes, they yeah. weren't the top two guys they got from the Braves in the Matt Olson trade. That was Christian Pache and Shea Langoliers. Pache really, really struggled last year. Langoliers is going to take over as the everyday catcher. Defensively, fine. Offensively, there, there's things to work on there. But again, the A's need arms. And Estes and Cusick were, were not insignificant parts of the trade. 
Estes was okay last year. Cusick really, really, really struggled. Had an ERA over seven during the regular season and, and also struggled in the Arizona Fall League, especially just throwing strikes. What are the updates on them and their outlooks? Because, again, it's important for the ace to hit on these trades and how these guys perform will determine just how much they did or didn't. Yeah, I mean, I was certainly more concerned with what happened with Cusick than I was with Estes. Estes is still pretty young, um, and I think while he didn't he didn't capture the magic that he had um, w- with the Braves, uh, I think that there's still the fastball is still really exciting with Estes. And I think um, as far as he goes, the, the A's were trying to iron out I think some delivery based stuff, trying to get him getting down toward to the plate a little bit more efficiently. So um, there's some things to iron out there, but. I don't think it's a it's a glaring red flag. I think with Cusick, um, to see there has really not been a whole lot of development with the changeup on that third pitch. Um, the velocity was actually a little bit down compared to – I mean, in college, he was a upper 90s touching 100 type of guy. Um, I think he was a little bit more 95, 97 last year, and he, he dealt with his own rib injury that knocked him out for several weeks. And uh, I, I think that maybe his mechanics get out of whack a little bit dealing with that and coming back from that. But when you think about the the fastball and talk to a couple of people with the A's where they're tinkering with grips and they're trying to take a look at trying, you know, recapturing where the fastball was, that's a concern to me because that's, that was the one dominant pitch that he had. Uh, the lack of a, a third offering that has emerged um, is, is a concern. And I think with him right now, he was already a guy who was straddling that starter reliever conversation and he didn't show a lot last year to, to make you optimistic that um, the, the starting track is more likely at, at this point. So that was one where um, I, I was definitely a little bit surprised in what we got back. I mean, I turned him in actually right behind Joey Estes. So um, he, he's definitely taken a little bit of a hit in terms of stock over the last year. All right, Mark, we got to finish on a positive note, a high note, an optimistic <laughs> note. You talk about Denzel Clark as your pick to click. Who are some other guys in the system, whether they're in the 30 or just outside the 30, that you know you think have a chance to, to really pop? Because, again, the depth of the system has improved. I see guys at the bottom of the list now, you know, Brian Buelvis and Colin Palouse, who not that long ago we were talking about as top 10 to 15 prospects. And it's probably better that they're now numbers 28 to 30. Uh, who, who are some guys here at the back that, that you're excited about or, or you think have a chance to really take off? Yeah, I'll give you two names. One, Brett Harris. I think we, we might have talked about him a little bit last year, too. It's a guy that the A's player development continue to, to sit. You know, they come to people like us and say, you have him ranked too low. Um, you know, they really they really like him. Uh, great approach at the plate. He can play multiple positions. He's going to make a lot of contact. He's not going to get himself out. A little bit of power, maybe 10 to 15 homers. I don't know if that's an everyday third baseman, if it's a multi-positional type of guy, but he seems like pretty high probability to get there. Um, there was a lot of excitement over in a limited look at Hogan Harris last year. So I'll be curious to see what happens with him when he's healthy. And then the last name I'll give you is Clark Elliott. They drafted him last year out of Michigan. I think that they're really intrigued with the swing. I think that there's maybe a little bit more power potential they think they can unlock at the professional level, uh, hit a ton at Michigan. Uh, he, he can play multiple outfield positions. I think that if he's healthy to start the season, that's a guy to keep an eye on the A system too that we have right now in the in the 20s. Yeah, Hogan Harris, he, he really also is another guy that fits into this. 
He's impressive when he's on the mound, but he's struggled with injuries. I remember staying with evaluators with him in the fall league and 2021 when he just came back. Again, the numbers weren't good, but but you saw some interesting things, you know, lefty with some stuff and then went out this past year and it was pretty good, you know, high double A and, and ran to some struggles at Las Vegas, like every other pitcher on the planet. But overall, it was, it was a good year. I mean, he's 25. He had some injuries. It's been a delayed development path. Actually, he's 26 now. He turned 26 uh, in December. But it seems like there is something there. He just has to stay on the mound. Yeah, the the fastball is what gets you really excited. I think that they have plans to, to add or reintroduce for him a, a cutter because there's I think there's like a 20 mile an hour gap between his fastball and his breaking ball. And, and he's been looking for something to fill that gap. I think yeah, at least over the winter, they were excited about uh, that cutter. I, I just think with him, in addition to like, like you said, and it seems like a we're broken record at this point needs to stay healthy. Um, he also needs to throw more strikes. And I, mean, I don't want to throw, put too much weight in the one um, spring training performance or whatnot, but I, you know, the first time out this year, he struggled with walks again. It's one of those things that has, has just dogged him or, or followed him um, at, at pretty much every level. So I don't, I don't necessarily know if he's breaking camp with, with the A's. They did add him to the 40 man roster, but I think they envision get him to triple a iron out the, the delivery, get some reps with that cutter slider hybrid. Um, and maybe you see him second half of the year. Yeah. We'll see what he's able to do. Mark, any, any final thoughts here? Again, this is an organization that, is not very good in the big leagues. Um, the farm system is in the bottom third of the majors, which is not what you want after you've traded away the talent you have. And look, all signs are the owner is doing everything in his power to alienate the fan base enough to justify relocation in terms of putting a terrible product on the field, raising prices, and then pointing to the fact fans are staying away. It's kind of a tried and true playbook. I guess I'll start with when do the A's project to be good again? And will it happen in Oakland? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I, you know, it, it, it's going to take a while. I think, I mean, I, I think we did this last year and you just take a step back and you look at their first round draft picks o- over the last decade. I mean, and we, you touched on it briefly. I think there's a conversation we had about Daniel Susak and Max Muncy so far, where those are your first round picks and there's some interesting characteristics there, but you could also find people this winter who weren't that impressed with what they've seen from Susak or from Muncie. Uh, Soderstrom in 2020 looks like a hit. And then you you run through Logan Davidson, Kyler Murray, Austin Beck, AJ Puck, Richie Martin. Like that's that's a tough stretch to to bounce back from when you compare that or, or you add in the fact that they've had some pretty high profile misses on the international side, whether that's a Robert Poisson, Pedro Pineda, um, even Carlos Pacheco kind of had a rough Lazaro Armenteros, but yeah, Lazaro Armenteros, uh, you know, you combine those two things and then you look at the the situation that they're in now as they embark on another rebuild. And it, it's, it's tough, but it's a lot of mistakes that stack up to, to try to overcome, especially when you deal with some of the budgetary or other um, issues or challenges that the, that the A's have to deal with. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. And I think, I think that's, that's the challenge you have to overcome. I mean, as far as a stadium goes, it seems like we've been doing this dance forever. I think, I think if you, if you were a betting person, um, it, it might not be a crazy bet to, to wonder if the next time they're competitive is in, you know, Vegas or another, another city. Um, but I do think just to, to put a bow on it, I, I'm not all doom and gloom when you look at 
8 through 18 or 19 or whatever. There's reasons to be optimistic. And like you said, there's plenty of runway at the big league level this year for some of these guys to get reps and get get a shot. I mean, there's I'm just looking at the list now. We didn't even talk about a guy like Jordan Diaz who could get a long runway, who's hit a ton. If you get a chance on a, on a rebuilding team to kind of carve out a role for yourself. So th- there are guys who have um, potential to seize opportunities like that. But I do think the competitive window, you're probably still two or three years away at best. Yeah, I was thinking it looks more four or five, and that's if everything goes <laughs> well. But, but like you said, there are talented players in here. Talk about Soderstrom, Geloff, if Miller can stay healthy, and Diaz has always hit. So there are players to work with. It's just a matter now of, of helping them get better and getting them to the big leagues and, and seeing if they can make it all fit. Mark, you nailed it. You close this out like Craig Kimbrell in his prime. I appreciate <laughs> it, my friend. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today and providing your insight on the A system as always. You got it. Thank you, Kyle. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast and the Baseball America Team Top 10 Prospect Series. It's been a pleasure doing this series once again. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you've listened on. We'd love to hear from you. For Mark Chiarelli, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks and have a good one, everybody. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.